Hello, you are listening to The Power of Investing in People with Shay Sparks. I had the honor of being on the show with Shay and wow, how authentic she is and how much I know that she wants to keep hope alive in the community. So thank you all for joining. And everyone here today, I'm offering a special to all active duty or retired military to my all access on-demand training where we learn how to dream, believe, and achieve our best life. Please visit at timlanefitness.com and I'll see you all soon. Enjoy the show. From being in the music industry to becoming an entrepreneur, Tom Liebelt shares how he spent years living nomadically and he shares some insider tips about building an online course. Also, he shares his incredible journey of sales, leadership, and rebuilding a business when you don't own the platform. Stay tuned to his inspiring story. You won't want to miss it. Welcome to the Power of Investing in People podcast. I am your host, Shay Sparks, Chief Excitement Officer of Sparks of Fire International, where we get you fired up about your life and business by transforming trauma into treasure. Check out my new co-author collaborative book called Hashtag Firestarters, How to Be a Spark of Hope in the Midst of Change on my website at shaysparks.com. And I invite you to connect with me on all the social media links while you're there, like Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and even YouTube. And today, our guest is the incredible Tom Liebelt. So welcome to the show, Tom. Yeah, thanks for having me. And this is going to be a great, fun conversation because we just met literally moments ago. So I can't It'll wait. Be fine. It'll be great. So for those of you who don't know, Tom Liebelt is the guy you call when your online course is not selling. He spends most of his time in Thailand, and he is the host of the Smart Brand Marketing Show. In the past, Tom has published over 5,000 Kindle books built a successful SEO business, owned a coffee shop, a retail store, record label, created a documentary, and released two albums with five hits on top 10 Polish radio. Gosh, I can't wait to hear what you haven't done yet, Tom. <laughs> he he likes to say that if, he, if you can't sell it, then you're not in business. Mm. Marketing and sales are the backbone of a company, and I have to agree with you. So thank you for being here, Tom. I appreciate your time and uh, patience with the rescheduling and everything. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. And, and you know, when you mentioned the whole like premise behind your show, mm-hmm. that would be the second piece of business people. Yes, totally agree. Totally agree. Which, you know, brings me to my first question is what does investing in people mean to you? It's the only way to get freedom, mm. to get your time back. It's the only way I, I know for a lot of us, you know, giving up things, you know, and then saying like, oh, I'm going to trust these people to do work for me because I can do it better. Like I, I get all that. And I've been there for a long time. But without the people, you can't grow. Without those people, you can't get your time back. Without those people, you can't scale. You can't sell your business. You can't do any of these amazing things. If you keep your ego in check, mm. it's all possible. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. You got to keep your ego in check. That's the, that's the one thing stopping a lot of us, right? Like we think we can do it better. And actually there are people that can do things much better because we focus on 
so many things in business, right? Like we'll try like messing with our website, the content, doing interviews, all that. If you just have someone that's focused on the one thing and you just let them get better at, let's say, building that website, they're going to do it much better than you after a couple of years, like much, much better. You'll be like, you know what? I'm never going back to doing it myself. Right. And, and you know, and it happens with a lot of stuff. And then like the one thing you could do is draw out your processes, mm. right? Like initially to get them started. So at mm-hmm. least they're not fumbling around. But, you know, you, you do have to invest in people. You know, that might stop up the business owners, you know, like, why should I invest in someone if they're going to leave soon? Right. You know, and that depends. If you get someone that's like kind of fresh off the boat, mm-hmm. you know, so just straight out of college, you might have to train them a little bit more, but they will likely stay with you much longer. Like I've had some of the employees, like the assistant that reached out to you, she's been with me for 10 years. And she moved between many, many jobs until she found her calling, and that's outreach. And there's no way with my patience and the way I am that I can do outreach as well as she can. Which before, I I could just email these people. But no, no, she's just a different personality. Sure. Now, if you get an apprentice who is probably more of a B or an A-plus player to start with, yeah, they're going to leave in two years, usually. That's the average time for an apprentice. But the training process will only take maybe six months to get them really thinking the way you're thinking. Mm-hmm. And for a year and a half, you have a double. So imagine having a year and a half of the like, two of you around. It, it might be worth it. So speaking of apprentice, so do you think that there is a, a formula, if you will, a success formula to allow them to stay rather than to see them go in two years? I'll tell you this, all of the smartest people I know around me, they always regret that they haven't been able to hold their apprentice because these people are mm. so good, mm-hmm. so good. Like you got to think they're a double of you. Right. How long, right. how long would you work on someone under someone? Right. Well, true. And, and <laughs> yeah, and they often go to writing best-selling books or starting really strong businesses. And like, personally, I'm just happy for them. You know, exactly. I'm, yeah. You know, and, and the thing I do with my employees, even let's say the C and the D players, I tell them, you go start your hustle and ask me questions if you need help. Like, I actually want you to do really, really well. And, you know, most of them will stay because, you know, this is not, you know, that B or A players. Those those ones will eventually move on. But you got to think, having a connection like that, you know, like your doubles out there mm-hmm. that you've been, you know, and they're kind of attached to you, too. And they know you haven't held them back. There's no hard feelings about this. It's, it's kind of nice having like a little army that you can kind of rely on in mm-hmm. different places. But, you know, it is hard because you know that you just put in six months of sweat and tears and your brain into these people and they will leave in about two, you know, so it's a difficult thing for some. Now, you can hire an A player, but I mean, you're talking about companies like Google, Amazon and Virgin who, you know, they will pay a half a million dollars or more for them. Right. And and I've seen some of my friends, too. They've had these people and they, you know, they're pretty much running their whole business around one of these, you know, superstars mm-hmm. and they would pay him like $150,000, $200,000. And then Amazon would come in and be like, I'll give you a half a million. Wow. And and, and what are you going to do? Right. Like, no, stay with me. I mean, right. if it was me, I'll be like, I'm I, like, I love you, but I'm out. Sure. You know? So even though like I am all for investing in people, you do need to be realistic about it. You know, like the superstars, 
they're going to leave. The apprentice, they're going to be great until they go. You can get the lower ones to stay with you for a long time, but it will be a revolving door for the most part. You know, what you said a little bit ago about connection and then the building them up and being able to watch them go out and do their own thing. You're still connected to them. Like you said, I also am a hairstylist and I worked in a salon where I trained apprentice apprentices. And that was what happened all the time is that they would come in, I would train them for six months and then they would either, you know, be great, but then they eventually would quit or they would quit immediately after the six months. And what the salon owner did, and they're actually out of Chicago, believe it or not, what the salon owner did was create a, um, not really an incentive, but kind of an incentive. If that's what you want to call it, I'll call it an incentive to be kind, but really it was kind of a fine. So if they left within, like kind of, they had to sign a two-year contract. And if they didn't stay for those two years, then they owed, you know, X amount of dollars for the training that they got. Are you seeing that in any way in, in, in your world at all, or in any of the CEOs that you've spoken to? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like a lot of my friends don't because they run businesses that are exciting enough and have enough moving parts where the apprentice cannot just take that one skill and move on. Like, you know, with being a hairstylist or a mechanic or, you know, someone that has the basics down, but like, you know, I can now fix any Ford because that's what I've been, you know, for working on. It's much easier to be like, you know what? I'm good. Right. I can set up my own shop. When you're running in the middle of a big business, you know, that has like, let's say even 30 employees, no way in the world in six months, you can drop everything and rebuild that. Like you don't have the capital. Right. 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 So that's what stops a lot of these apprentices from just saying like, I am out because it's not as easy as, you know, just I'm going to buy a chair from this other hairdresser and then (laughs) I'm in business, you know, which is what hairstylists do. So it's a little more even challenging. I don't want to call it the blue collar world, but the more of the, the skilled labor, the really skilled labor, the high skilled labor, because you're learning once as a stylist that gets into someone else's salon, you don't need to hire the administrative staff. You don't need to pay the rent for the building and all the insurance. You just pay the salon a fee to get the chair and you get your clients. It's it's a much easier way for them to escape. So in that situation, yeah, you got to have a fine or something. It's got to be pretty big too. Yeah. To make it, sure that they don't mess around. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I can't remember how much it was now, but it was it was definitely made an impact on the, the ones who came that I trained. They're like, oh, what am I going to get fined? I was like, stick around for two years. <laughs> if you listen to any consultant, which for any service business says double your pricing, I would say double the fine. Yeah. After leaving, double the fine. <laughs> That's, that would be the, the whole thing I would do. If I was a consultant for the like hairdressing world, uh-huh. I would go to every single person and be like, double the fine and you'll be okay. Yep. That's a great idea. I love it. I love it. So take us to uh, a time where you have really hit an obstacle and you invested in yourself. There's been so many obstacles. (laughs) Well, as as a business, as an entrepreneur, don't we all have obstacles? Yeah. Like we, we had walls all the time. Like my main obstacle that kept on repeating for a while was building businesses on platforms I didn't control. You know, whether it's around Google or Amazon, and they always change the rules, yeah. and we were pretty much at square one again. 
Wow. You know, just overnight. And it happens. You know, you do it in different ways. Like, you know, but but it happened. And eventually, <laughs> we had to sit down, stare at the wall for a couple of days, and figure out a way to build a business that's not reliant mm-hmm. on any one platform, any one customer, anybody else. Like, no one can put us out of business. It's super difficult. You know, that's why people go into, like, you know, different marketplaces or, or places where, like, hey, you know, these people will help me, but you're relying on someone. And then this happened multiple times until I finally said, like, you know what, I'm going to do it the hard way. Because, you know, we like the easy ways out, right? Like, yeah, let's just do it on Amazon. Let's just do it on Udemy. Let's just do it on all these places where, you know, we get all this help. And this is why most business people that, you know, have, like, a Amazon business and they sell stuff. They can't replicate this on their own because it's super hard. Sure. But then Amazon might just knock off their product or Amazon might shut down the store. Amazon might take off their reviews and they're done. So that's been the hardest moments I can think of that happened multiple times. Wow. Because I was like, well, it happened with Google initially. We didn't learn our lesson yet. We went on Amazon and then we didn't learn our lesson yet. And we were about to do it again with Facebook. But I Mm -hmm. said, you know what? Stop. Let's let's not let's not build anything around Facebook <laughs> because I know what's going to happen. Yeah, good idea. So, is that when you were building your uh, five thousand Kindle books? So, with the Kindle books, you know that was a part of it, but we've seen a lot of problems during that process too. Mm. Like initially, when we had so many books out, we could make money from the sales and the rentals, right? Mm-hmm. So, anytime someone rented a book from us. We had a dollar, maybe 25, 35 cents. Mm-hmm. And we had, you know, thousands of books being rented out every month. It was, you know, a big piece of the income. Sure. Then Amazon decided that they, they don't need us as much. So they changed the rental pricing from per book to per pages read. Wow. And even And even if you had a book with 100 something pages, it came out now to like seven cents a book. It was ridiculous. It was so low. Wow. So without anything happening, the income got slashed by half, you know, and that's what I mean, you know, control. And then they kept Mm -hmm. on messing with our account, with the reviews. And it's like, there's no one really to talk to. And, and it was fine because we were still doing a marketing agency at the time. So we we were okay. But I was like, you know, we've invested probably, I don't know, dollars $180,000 in this business. Wow. And we made it back, but we can't sell it. We can't really continue it forever because Amazon keeps just destroying it piece by piece, right? So this being controlled by a platform, like really, you know, hit us hard. Like we're like, we this, if we put this money into something else and so much effort, we could have probably sold this for like eight, nine million dollars down the line. Sure. But with Amazon, we just got back maybe like three times the return and then had to restart again. Wow. Yeah, I, I really recommend not to take the easy way out for a lot of these. Uh, <laughs> paths. Yes. And, and, you know, speaking of that, I am also an author as well and decided to self-publish and go have my own, sell it through me, like sell it through my own website rather than just pushing it onto Amazon for that reason. Because I know that they at one point, I think, Four years ago, when I did my first book, it was really about, I don't even remember the commission that you got back. And now it's changed. It's even less. And I was like, uh, I'm good. I'll just order it from yeah. them. I'll just order yeah. it from them and ship them out myself. <laughs> yeah, it was a much different space when we got into the Amazon Kindle business. It was around 2013, I think. And that's when they really needed writers. 
Yeah, right. Right. So all these platforms, it's the same thing. When they need you, they'll do anything to, you know, all these mm-hmm. incentives. But when they don't, that's when you start getting hit. And if you've built your whole business around them, it's always going to have a bad ending. You know, it's, that's my advice because we've done it multiple times and, you know, never again. So now are you, you, you mentioned uh, Udemy. So are you working with them at all with your courses and things or, or you do have a completely different platform? Well, we tell people to get off of these marketplaces and mm-hmm. own their courses. Right? Yeah. So most of the premium courses, I'll be like, look, you can use any of these platforms for hosting. Teachable, yeah. Thinkific, Kajabi, like any of them. Mm-hmm. Their only job is to host your course, just like you have hosting companies for websites. Right. Now, you don't want them to run your sales pages. Why in the world would you have a hosting platform run your sales process? I agree. Yes. You know, so I, we, we explain this to people like you want as much control as possible. Even having them take payments sometimes, I think, is ridiculous because they can barely do that properly. <laughs> right. Right. You know, I'm like, look, control the whole sales process yourself if you can. Sales pages, funnel, blog, taking payments. And the only thing you want to do is just throw people in to take the course on, on that platform because that's the only thing they can do fairly well. And it's not amazing to like, they still go down and they still have issues. But with payments, like we've had, and, and you know, Thinkific and Teachable both, because they're the biggest, they had this problem. And we're the ones that found it, not them. They would reply like six days later, like mm. they would freeze payments through PayPal, for example. Wow. And, you know, it was because of some API problem or software glitch. And I'm like, yeah, but why are we seeing this? And I know the owners of both. I'm like, why aren't you guys saying anything? Mm-hmm. This is affecting so many people. You know, people are launching courses. doing you know, Right. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's something where we'll fix in two, three days. And then after they fixed it. Wow. And people would have four days of not being able to take payments, which for some were running into, you know, six figures. Right. They would just send a message like, oh, yeah, we had a small outage. Oh, that's it? Wow. Yeah, yeah, like really, like on, on Facebook, like it would just be like, yeah, we had a small outage it's under control. I'm like, for some, this was not a small outage. Right. You know, so that's what, you know, for, for the people making more money in courses than, mm-hmm. you know, like, because for the small players, it's it's fine. A couple of days, it's not going to make a difference. But, right. you know, if someone's making 10, 20 million a year. Right. Yeah. Four days is quite substantial. And you probably want to control your payments as well. You know, I'm, I'm very big on, on teaching the control part of it because you, you don't want any of these platforms to go down and take it with you. At least if you can control this part yeah. and they just can't access the course, you can be like, look, these idiots will get under control. It's hosting. Right. <laughs> you know, they'll, they'll, they'll get it done. I mean, you can do it all yourself on WordPress, but I mean, I think they're simple enough for just hosting your stuff mm-hmm. where it might be worth it, you know, because it's like you don't want to build your own hosting for your website. Right. You know, they, they might still go down sometimes, but it's like such a big piece and such a commodity where you just simply can switch. If you're only hosting with these platforms, like, fine, if you guys can do it properly, I'll go with Kajabi or I'll go with someone else who is more reliable these days. Got it. You know? Yeah. Well, and uh, you're, you're preaching to me because I am at some point going to start a course. So I, I love this information that you're giving. And it sounds like you were pivoting before it was cool back in 2020. So good for you to be able to like take what you did and go, okay, now what? And how do we go move forward? Where, you know, when 2020 hit, everybody was like freaking out going, how am I going to pivot? And you had been an expert by the time 2020 hit and, put, yeah. and pivoting. 
we, we were very lucky with it. The first course we kind of partnered up with, it was a Muay Thai champion back in the day. He's a friend of mine. It was like 2014. So by 2019, we were already fully booked, you know, with, with coursework because we really niched down on it. And 2020, it just exploded so much. Like we actually feared, we feared for a bit, like what is going to happen? Because mm-hmm. marketers are usually the first people to go. Right, from exactly. From any budget, right? Right. And then we forex service. Nice. Which, you know, it was luck. Like this is not yeah. anything that I've done. It was just, you know, like we had a good gauge about the course marketing space. Mm-hmm. So we knew in 2019, we had 80,000 possible course creators out there. Wow. And out of that, maybe 4% could actually work with us, which is more than we need. Because right. we only take a few clients per month. Mm-hmm. And that forex in April of last year. So now wow. our, our market went from 80,000 to about 350, maybe 400,000. So like a little more than 4X. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the percentage stayed the same, mm-hmm. except budgets became much bigger too, you know, because a lot sure. of coaches and speakers who a pretty big bankroll now yeah. wanted to get into the course space. Right. So it wasn't just us, but the entire course creation and this whole space just went pretty nuts since mm-hmm. then. And now it's getting back to, I would say maybe not the same levels as 2019, but I would mm-hmm. say we're at half of last April because kind of people settled down, which is sure. still huge for us, you yeah. know, and, and a lot of the people who kind of started making it last year now are seeing the crunch of the competition, you know, mm. because they, you know, they just kind of, it was like the stock market, right? A lot mm. of people made a lot of money quickly last year and this year they're having the worst time of their life. Because it's all crashing left and right. And they thought, you know, the stuff they learned, which is, hey, I'm just going to throw a dart and make money, is not (laughs) working anymore. Right. You know, this it's it's kind of an unfortunate, unfortunate thing in business where you get super lucky in the beginning. And and in the stock market, because I like playing that, too, because it's so difficult. We call that stupid luck because you're making bad decisions. So you're doing well while making bad decisions. And then when things flip... You know, you lose everything. And then business is very similar. You know, mm-hmm. if you just get super lucky initially by doing nonsense, then, then when you actually have to properly run your business, things don't work out so well. Very true. So speaking of nonsense, I'm just, and it's not really nonsense, but I thought it was kind of funny that you have all the success in the business entrepreneur space. And yet you also have, you, you produced records. So were you the producer of these records? Were you the singer, the musician? So back then I was doing, wow, I was doing all of it. So when I first got out of my business school, you know, I really wanted to get the music thing done because, you know, hip hop, you know, a lot of people, you know, some like it, some don't. It's a very, yeah, kind of I like love under, it. Under, yeah. Yeah. It's a young person's game. Mm-hmm. You know, like I've, I couldn't think of it as like a rock type of niche where, you know, when I'm 30, 40, I can get in and, and do well. I thought I have to do it now because the only people that sell in hip hop, mm-hmm. like really, are people who are troubled, mm. motivated, damaged. And that's usually 20 year olds, early true. 20 year olds. True. You know, when you're 30, you're kind of get your stuff together and then you get boring, (laughs) right? Boring. And that's why you don't see many 40, 50 year old rappers doing, you might have like Jay-Z or a few who are still, you know, doing quite, but uh, these are outliers. This is not a normal thing. And even they don't have the same push as before. Right. So my thought was, because I was an engineer, I went to an engineering school in full sale in Florida. And I, then I moved to New York to work in the big studios and I seen how much of a cutthroat business it was. 
But in the neighborhood that I lived in, and since I was a, I have a Polish background and can speak Polish, I was in Greenpoint. We had around a million Polish people wow. in the in the area, and then Chicago, you know, has another million mm-hmm. something, which is nuts. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know what, I can get the best of both worlds. I can become an unknown in America because I, I being popular in America is the worst thing you can you can do. Because the whole world knows you. But I can be super popular in my neighborhood and in Poland and then go to the next neighborhood nobody knows. There you go. And I could dominate that area because, nice. you know, I had this I had the skills that were on par with the American counterparts. But I came into a smaller niche sure. where people just, they, they didn't know. Smart. So and then smart. we completely dominated, you know, for about three, four years. Like we had two albums. We done a ton of concerts. We had TV from Poland come to do a documentary on us. Nice. You know, I ruled all the Polish radio stations in the area. Like we were number one for a year with one track. And at one point we had three tracks in the top 10. Wow. So you just, you couldn't get rid of us. Yeah. It was just so, you know, dominant. But again, it was beautiful because I could go to a different neighborhood like Astoria or Bay Ridge and not one person knew who I was. Like mm. Greenpoint, you, you did because my posters were on every single store. Yeah. But it was just the neighborhood next door, and I'm like, I'm a nobody. It was it was the best thing we, we could have done, and it was planned that way. Well, I love how passionate you are about the music, because you, your whole demeanor changed as you were talking about it. So what lessons did you learn from being in the music industry that you were able to apply to business? You know, it's the same thing. If you can't market yourself, mm-hmm. if you can't sell, you're no one. That's why I mentioned the posters all over yeah. the walls everywhere. Like The biggest piece of it was do the marketing. The music was fine. Like we we knew we could do that, but there were so many other people who did really good music, you know, quietly. Like I would find these people who were just locked in their bedrooms, and let's say making beats for like eight years, and no one heard of them, or someone just rhyming on the on the corner for like you know two years, and again, like you would overhear that people knew them, but no one really knew them. And then it was all about packaging it, positioning it marketing and distribution right which is the radio stations sure so now when you were playing on radio every single day and they had posters of you on every single wall that's when things started happening but without that it was just like you know you're just one of these like yeah you know he's good but you you had you know and, and it's the same thing with business you know you can make the best product you can have the best website write the best article if no one hears it it's tough because you know creating stuff takes so long right like right now, I found one space in Google that I really want to be in. You know, it's a, like a number one spot for one keyword, which I tested, and it's worth about $7,000 per week. Wow. But now we have to write something, which is probably going to become like a 30,000, 40,000 word article sure. to take that spot. Wow. So you're thinking, you know, maybe a month of creating this thing. Mm-hmm. And then even though we have a strong website, it'll probably land us maybe in the top nine so it's still going to be a ton of work to get us to where we want to be. You got to be in a number one, two spot. Sure. So the creation will take a long time, but then it's going to take maybe eight times longer to get it done properly and marketed. So it's where we want to be. But don't you think to that effect is that when something takes a long time, when success takes a long time to get there, that it's, it lasts longer rather than that quote unquote overnight success? The way we look at it is a barrier to, you know, so by writing a 30, 40,000 word article, mm-hmm. when every else that's competing with us in there now has maybe 2,000 word articles, we're kind of building a moat. Sure. 
Because once we get up in there, whoever wants to take us down, they will now have to take a month themselves or maybe longer to outdo that article and then get all those links in, mm-hmm. which gives us a head start. Sure. Yeah. So that's the way I kind of look at the creation. Like when we came out with that first album in, in Greenpoint, and there were albums before that, but they were just pretty crappy in the area. We created a big moat because, you know, now everyone's like, yeah, we're making albums too. But already everyone's listening to us. Like we're doing the concerts, we're doing, you know, everything. And it's like, well, now you kind of have to take us down first. And by the time you create your first one, yeah. And by the time you create your first album, like we're about to come out with the second one. Second one. Nice. The way I think about, you know, putting all this creation time is like you're building a moat around yourself. Like if you, you know, let's say in a hairstylist place, if you start setting up a salon, Mm-hmm. And have, you know, a lot of superstars working and you start getting known and branded. Like the next salon can take some of your workers, but there's a few things that they're going to have to really work hard to catch up, you know? Right. And that's sort of where you have to put that work in. And overnight success, that that's that's like making a, a lot of money in a stock and then tomorrow it's all gone. Very there's true. no hole. There's there's nothing around there. Like right now it's more crypto because it's more exciting. But, right. you know, you, you've seen what happened. Yep. In the beginning, Elon Musk mentioned that he's going to start taking Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin went up. Yesterday, he said he's going to stop taking Bitcoin because <laughs> it takes too much energy. Bitcoin went down. down. Zero control, up and now, right? So there's no moat. Like you are hoping and praying that this guy will continue to be a cheerleader, right? And you mm-hmm. never want that. You never want that one person again or platform or anyone else, like be the one in charge of what's going to happen to you. Mm-hmm. You really don't. Even if it's going your way, like realize this is this is not a good thing. This is where you're being lucky and stupid at the same time. I love it. Lucky and stupid. So uh, I'm going to shift gears here a little bit because uh, I really want to talk about something that we kind of talked about when we first got on the call about living nomadically. So I'm assuming that your team is not in the same area that you are. So how do you maintain being a leader when everyone is so spread out, how does that, how does that, how does that feel for you? It, it's fairly natural because that's the way I started this entire internet business. Like, mm-hmm. you know, before when I had the brick and mortars, yeah, I, I had people around me all the time and it was great. You know, it was great, mm-hmm. but it's not what I wanted long term. And I'll tell you the biggest problem that people have when starting a business like this. Yeah. They do not know what work to delegate. Mm. properly like they, they will hire someone and think they can just take over without knowing anything mm-hmm. you know and, I, and i've seen some of my friends try to kind of follow me back then and then they're like yeah we i just hired this va and they don't know what they're doing <laughs> right you know, i mean i know that of course they don't know what they're doing so for us it's been more of we have a certain skill set that mm-hmm. we need right say coding like for a website mm-hmm. and we'll explain to the person like look your job will be one maintain our website build up anything that we tell you to and then work on our client sites also. And this could mm-hmm. be sales pages, stuff like you'll get the info, but we need you to code this. Mm-hmm. And then they're set. They know what they're in there for. So now, like if I have, you know, anything like I need to add code or, or redo anything, I'll just send it to the coder guy. And he's like, I'm on it done because he knows that's his role. So having very clear roles is mm. key with a remote team, you know, Getting yourself out from that bottleneck space too, like for some of us, and this is that ego, going back to this ego thing. We enjoy when someone asks us what to do. 
Mm. Right. But it's not. Right. The main thing I teach my workers, and sometimes you need to do it from the beginning, or it will take you a long time to get them out of this mentality is like, I love the question. Figure it out. Absolutely. You know? And just give them no help at all. Like, Look, I, I, I get this. It's a great thing. It's hard. Figure it out. You're not going to get fired if you mess up. You know, I might give you some tips on what to do better next time, but I want you to figure this out. And what my employees got to, and now I barely interact with them other than just the stuff we need to. So my workers now, instead of asking me, you know, what to do, they'll yeah. actually in their head probably hear that Tom's going to say, figure it out. So they know better not to even ask now, right? So now they'll say like, okay, you know, I had this issue and I did this. What do you think? Nice. And 99% of the time now, because I gave them advice before, like, yeah, it's good, but maybe you should fix that. And now it's usually pretty well. And even if something's not working Mm -hmm. and it's not a big deal, they don't know what a big deal is or not. So they try to figure out things which are just small things. And, And I tell them, if I don't hear from you that there are problems... If I don't hear from clients that there are problems, if I don't know that you even exist for half the time, that's going to get you a bonus. Nice. Nice. You know, so it's the opposite of, you know, I don't want to see like how you show off to me how well you did. If there are no problems, it means you are doing your job exceptionally well because I've been in business long enough that I know we are putting out fires every single day. Mm -hmm. And if I don't see any fires... That means this team Perfect. is really cranking. Yeah. So yeah. I taught them that. That's awesome. And now they stay quiet for the most part because for at the beginning when we kind of moved into this, you solved your own problems. They all wanted to show off how many problems they solved, which I, I get. But I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to give you a bonus for that because mm-hmm. I don't want to see it. I, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear what, what negative things happen. If you fix them, I'm like, I'm super happy for for the peace and quiet. I'm mm-hmm. giving bonuses now. I like that. You know? So it's, it's what I kind of recommend with a remote team. You need to move them first from, I'm going to ask you how to solve things, to solve things themselves, and then stop trying to show off. So what I'm hearing is you're really giving them tools to, that empower them. You don't micromanage or even have to micromanage. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, I think it's the worst way to run a business. I you agree. Know, the the so, micromanaging it comes naturally to a lot of us, mm-hmm. and you know, but you definitely cannot scale, and you right. definitely cannot, and you definitely cannot sleep well at night. Micromanaging. Right. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. And and you you have it goes back to investing in people, right? So you've given them tools if they need it, but you've really empowered them to make their own decisions to be a better employee. That's what you want. Yeah. Like even with the outreach, you know, when, when, um, we were not getting results really well, Mm -hmm. um, in the beginning, instead of just saying, try harder, I was like, show me what you've done. Mm -hmm. You know, just, just one time, what problems you solved. And let me tell you how others are doing it because I'm getting outreach myself and I would just show examples. And then, you know, the assistant will be like, Oh, so they follow up three, four extra times. I was like, yeah. Let's rewrite their um, emails. Let's create our own templates and let's see how that goes and just mm-hmm. run with it. And then she was like, oh, yeah, this is much better. And then she would, you know, go up on her own. But it was just like one very small nice. interaction where I'm like, okay, well, let's go over this whole process and just see what you've done. Mm-hmm. And I'll show you what I would do in that space and not tell you. I would just like, here are examples. I would look at these because they stuck out to me and just replicate it. You know, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Just just go over this stuff. And I find it works much better than me telling you like, oh, yeah, we need to write these things and do that. Like, just just take a look. 
figure it out. It's not, it's not difficult. Like a lot of work, workers think that things are very, I guess, like secretive in the business world. Like, yes. you know, so someone has like this, this special thing. I was like, no one has anything special. They have yes. a process. Right, they have exactly. a process that's working pretty well. And they kind of work with probability. They know mm -hmm. that 70% of the time people will look at this email and then, you know, 50% of the time this one. And this is why we split test. And I taught them that concept too. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if you want to really see which email is doing better, sell, send this one 10 times and this one 10 times and see which gets more responses. Yeah. And, you know, this was like a very, like, I didn't know that's what you do, <laughs> but, you know, simple concepts like that, sure. you know, they will take that and run with it, you know? So I think just being kind of like a guiding force and then like, you mm -hmm. know, figure this out on your own. It's, it makes it much easier to build a remote team that works well, but digital nomadism in its own, but overrated, I would tell you, but overrated. Like what I will see a lot are people who are lost, confused, and struggling to make a thousand dollars, you know, these digital nomads, which are sh posting the most pictures, right, right? right? Like the ones by the beach, you know? Yeah. And I've kind of called out a few on them on it around here. I would be like, you know, the whole point of being successful is not having to take a laptop. On. Why, why are you doing this? It's not like you can't look at your laptop on the beach. The sun is too strong. It's just this stupid. Right. But it's this, you know, showing this dream, which they're not even living. Right. You know, the great things about being a digital nomad, I'll, I'll kind of go into that. You do get to see the world on your own terms, right? So initially when I got into it, I would slow travel. So I would live three months in Barcelona, two months in Portugal, like two months in Prague, like all over these places, you know, mm -hmm. Tokyo, Taiwan, like all these beautiful spots. And you get to see things as locals because you can stay longer. Like I would stay sometimes for even six months, you know, mm -hmm. and that's really where you get to live in that way. I love it. But there is a diminishing return to this. After about two or three years, you're going to realize that you now sort of have an idea how the whole world looks. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, the first time you see Japan, it's insane. It's beautiful. It's crazy. But after you've seen it and you see all the other Asian countries, you're like, yeah, this is more of the same. It's like in Europe. You know, you, mm -hmm. it's just another European building later on. <laughs> so what happens when you make that next move? And, you know, for some people, it takes longer. You're like, okay, I need to find a grocery store. I need to find a gym. I need to find a coffee shop. Right. And that's what happens every single time. A doctor, you know? dentist. Yep. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. these. But I'm just saying yeah. like the basics. For me, the first right. thing when I land is like, okay, where is the gym, coffee shop, and, and thing now? <laughs> and like, I got to re redo my whole schedule. Like everything looks similar, you know? Like I'm like, yeah, already yeah. been in these countries, yeah. But now I got to redo my whole routine. So that's when it kind of really goes down. And what I've done is I just found a couple places I really like, you know, like some couple places in America, couple places in Europe, and then a few in, in Asia. And I'll just travel between those back and forth. Like, I don't want to see anything new unless it's like a one week vacation. If I have to find another gym and restaurant and coffee shop, I swear. <laughs> You're like, that's it. I'm done. I'm just not interested in that nonsense anymore. Oh gosh. Well, Tom has been awesome. Our time has been fun and it's coming uh, to a close. So before you go, I just have a few more questions. So one, what would be your legacy? What do you want to be remembered? I mean, you have a music out there. You could be remembered for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's always hard, right? Like what I'm trying to do now is because the next generation is coming up. Like I don't have kids yet, but mm -hmm. my cousins do. My mm -hmm. best friends, they, 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 they're saying I have kids. Yeah. 
And I'm trying to be a good guiding light for them. Nice. Right. So like when I'll go back to the States, like, you know, a lot of my friends, like their kids love me. And I always want to make sure I kind of set them on the right path Mm. because, you know, I definitely, I mean, some people would bet on me back then, but a lot would not, but I did Mm. become more successful than almost anybody else I know that I grew Mm. up with because we didn't come up with a great environment. Right. And when I see some of those kids, you know, and I'm like, well, I think that the least I can do is get them, give them a little motivation and give Mm -hmm. them, you know, an idea of how to kind of move around in this crazy world now to kind of set themselves up for success. So that's kind of what I try to give more of my insights, like even more in podcasts. Like I feel much more inclined to be like, you know, if like a 12 or seven year old ask me something like, I, I, you know, that I know personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what I'll put my energy. I love it. Well, you are a guiding light and you, that shows in your employees. So thank oh, yeah, you. For, the, for them, definitely. And I, yeah. I make sure I take care of their families as much as possible too. Like if the kids, same thing, you know, they, they get, got an award or something. I make sure they get rewarded for all that. That's awesome. And so where can people connect with you where they can, you know, how do they find those 5,000 Kindle books? You know, where do they buy your album? All of those things. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of this has been already in the past. But to find me now is smartbrandmarketing.com. That's, that's you know, it has a contact form and I'm easy to uh, get a hold of. And I'm always looking more towards the future. Like the stuff I've done in the past has been great, you know, and I, I reminding myself of that, but, you know, mm-hmm. can't live in there. Right, right. And uh, are you on social media, Instagram, LinkedIn? Uh, Twitter a bit. LinkedIn a bit, but I don't control these platforms. So I'm, I'm very, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like actually I do a lot of trolling just cause you know, like <laughs> I, it, that's what I think these platforms are for more than anything. Got it. But my website is where you'll see everything that I'm doing because it's one place I control. Got it. Okay. So smart branding, smart brand marketing, marketing, smart brand marketing.com. Yeah. That's it. Well, it has been a joy to have you and to get to know you. And one last question before you go, what phrase, scripture, or mantra are you living by right now? That's sort of difficult. You know, it's, it's just fun with a, with a mantra. Like, I don't really have a saying like that. Like, I do this type of a trick that I've learned from Scott Adams. Okay. Right. And he would say that kind of brings stuff into his world. But what I find, it brings my attention to that thing, right? And mm. and whatever it is I'm looking for, let's say in this quarter, any time where I'm kind of stuck or just like, you know, trying to figure things out, I keep repeating it in my in my head, right? So mm. if it's like, you know, we're going to start a software business, I will just say that, you know, 10, 20, 30 times in my head. Mm-hmm. And I used to do that for music. Like I would make sure I put the message on the top of the page. Mm-hmm. And then as I was writing things, and I got stuck, I would always go back to the message because if you did, you know, it would come out as like a very all over the place verse. So I, you know, but Scott Adams kind of put this into like perspective, like, you know, you should write down 10 times in the morning of what's the one thing you want to get to, you know, and he would say it kind of brings it into your life, but I found it just focuses you because if I'm sitting around and about to go on Twitter and I start repeating, like, I'm about to build a software business and I'm like, is Twitter really helped me get this software business? No. Right. Right. So I think that's, that's maybe do something else. So that's kind of what I do. And it like, there's this like repeat in my head mantra for the next thing I want. Awesome. Well, Tom, thank you for being here. 
It's been a pleasure. Yeah, and thank you for listening to The Power of Investing in People with Shay Sparks. If you enjoyed this episode, because as a small business owner, I know you did, and you probably took lots of notes too, because Tom's pretty freaking amazing. We invite you. you to... We, thank you. We invite you to go over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. Until next time, let's get fired up. Hey, don't turn this off just yet. Does the thought of collaborating and connecting with a diverse group of creative thought leaders appeal to you? Do you have a compelling story and don't know where to start? Have you ever thought about writing a book and thought about writing the whole book is overwhelming? Well, we are looking for you. We want to connect and collaborate with other podcasters, coaches, and entrepreneurs who want to gain exposure. We are looking for other people who want to co-author a book with us. You can find out more details at firestartersbookproject.com.